Oh man, I'm glad you're sleeping over today, Eric. Yeah, man. I can't wait to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to sleep early, but I want to watch a movie first. You want to watch like First Man and I'll make some s'mores? No. What do you mean? Why you shrug it off like that? You don't want to see it? Dude, space isn't real. You know that. Are you one of these guys that thinks that Stanley Kubrick filmed the moon landing? I do. 2001 was great. If you look at the opening scene with the monolith and the monkey, it's the same exact shot as uh, Neil Armstrong, in quotes, walking on the moon. We were in an arms race with Russia, and The Shining was a subliminal story from Stanley Kubrick's point of view about how the government asked him to fake the moon landing. Whoa. Yeah. Danny, when he is riding his tricycle Mm -hmm. on the carpet that looks a lot like the Apollo 11 launch pad, stands up, is wearing an Apollo 11 sweatshirt. Whoa. What if somebody faked Woodstock? You think that happened? I do think someone faked Woodstock. Whoa. Yeah. Shit. Why else would that happen? That would never happen. Yeah, Santana and Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, you think some guy got like The Who and Joe Cocker to like do an entire set right after each other? No. Are you saying Stanley Kubrick faked Woodstock? I'm saying Martin Scorsese faked Woodstock. Oh my God, Scorsese faked Woodstock? Yes. He made the last waltz. And we were at war with Russia. We were at war with Russia. It was a, we were in an arms race. Whoa. So they're like, let's fake a big concert in the middle of New York. And it worked and we all bought it. Yeah. And now, Coachella, Bonnaroo. Right. Tomorrowland Festival. Huge festivals. Langerado. They all make money. Yeah. They're all taxed. Yes. Dude, what if like Christopher Nolan is faking Bonnaroo? Is Dude, that what you're saying? Christopher Nolan faked Bonnaroo. Bomb. Yeah. Inception was Whoa. the subliminal retelling of oh. how the American government asked Christopher Nolan to fake Coachella. Oh my God. That's crazy. Yeah. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad Hi everybody, welcome to Bad Science. I'm Ethan Edinburgh and today Damien Chazelle is la la landing on the moon with First Man from 2018. I'm surprised that's the first time I've ever heard that pun. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, thank you. I thought of it yesterday and <laughs> said, really I can't think of anything stupider than this. Got to put it on the pod. Uh, it's an Academy Award winning film, which uh, you've probably seen if you love space as much as I do. And I'm going to talk to two people who have definitely seen this film. Uh, I mean, unless they haven't, in which case they're definitely unprepared to do this podcast. Uh, first, a friend of mine for a decade here, we have a composer, producer, half of the band More Giraffes, and also releases music under the moniker Hark Madly. It's Mark Hadley. Hey, yes, you nailed it all. I nailed it all? I got yes. It? Okay, yeah. great. How's it going, Mark? Great to see you. It's going super well. Oh, fantastic. I just had lunch at Jackson Market over here, which Ooh, is like one of the best Jackson Market, yes. Shout out. What'd you get? Uh, a, a veggie wrap. Oh, a veggie wrap. Yes, sir. And it was top class? Of course. Every day at Jackson Market is the best day of your life. Agree. Is that their slogan? <laughs> I don't know. Um, joining us is an author and a spaceflight historian that you may remember from our Apollo 13 episode. It's Amy Shira Title. Hello again. Thank you for having me again. To Thank you for joining rant us. Rant about spacey things. Yes, please. I love when you rant. All the ranting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, feel free to just tear this movie apart. I don't know exactly Done. where your rants are going to go. Wow. Um, I have so, so many rants. Okay, great. Well, let's let's start there because I just very quickly enjoyed this film a lot. I thought it was great, um, but but I don't want to get into my own weird specifics about it until I hear from you guys. So, Amy, do you want to begin your uh, your visceral rant that's going to just light the podcast world ablaze? Um, I don't think it's going to necessarily light the podcast. 
casserole to blaze, considering I already put this up on my YouTube channel. <laughs> I didn't love the movie. Okay. Um, I'm not going to lie. I didn't. And I actually, I, I should tell you, I intended to rewatch it this morning in mm. preparation. So I, I go to my, my internets and you can't rent it. You yeah. have to buy it. And I was Whoa. like, you know what movie I don't need to own? First, <laughs> First Man. man. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I didn't actually watch it a second time to prepare for no, this. That's okay. I totally uh, <laughs> yeah. forgive you. And I appreciate you being honest and not lying to us. So what about it did you not enjoy? I I understand what the movie was doing, especially, I mean, I, I also I know a ton of people who worked on it, from the costume designers to the guy who wrote First Man, mm. um, and, you know, to the technical advisors and stuff. It's So there are a lot of elements of it that I was like, this is awesome. I can see my friend's hands in, like, making sure this is looking exactly like this. Wow. But I kind of had this feeling the whole time that it was like, uh, what's his name? Neil Armstrong, the replicant. Like it's oh, so yes. flat and so boring. And I know it was a Neil Armstrong movie, but it's like he did have a sense of humor more than making one joke about Buzz being mean. Mm-hmm. Which why was he so mean? Why was he so mean? I don't know. That was one of my big questions. There going was into like this. there was so much like moodiness to where and and this is where like I will be totally honest. I had this question when I f- heard they were doing this movie in the first place. Like of all the astronauts, Neil Armstrong's not necessarily the most dynamic personality. Right, sure. To do a biopic about. Yeah. You want an astronaut biopic, you do Pete Conrad, after whom I named my cat. Because um, he, he was a character. But Neil Armstrong's like a standard test pilot and an awesome guy. But like, yeah. so it was just like there was a lot of like moody looks and stuff. Yes. And I don't know if you if you want me to spoiler alert the thing oh, yeah. that made spoiler me almost the hell ruin out of the it. movie for everybody in the theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, you know, at the end of the movie. Sorry, anybody who hasn't seen it yet, he's listening to this. Um, when he's on the moon and he throws his daughter's bracelet into the crater. Yes, Karen's And it's like bracelet. dead silent because there's no sound because they're on the moon. Yeah. And I saw an IMAX at a special preview. So it's like the big IMAX at Universal Studios or Universal. Yeah, Universal Studios. Uh-huh. It's silent in there. I swear that shot is like shot for shot old Rose throwing the heart of the ocean into the sea at the end of Titanic Whoa. and all I could hear in my mind was ah! and I just started <laughs> laughing so hard I tried I mean it oh, works I for Titanic do. it worked yeah, but it Tell was like the what. worst moment in Titanic anyways so why are you sure. replicating the worst moment from Titanic <laughs> yeah that killed it for me yeah uh, <laughs> just you're... the shot just the fact that it like arced into nothingness I was like ah, old Rose yeah yeah I, I mean I had very similar issues with the movie buzz being rude i thought was like out of nowhere and out of place i don't know buzz of course but it just seemed like well if you're you know the movie's about neil but i feel like they should pump up everybody else Did for you, us. i got the sense yeah. and maybe this but like, i and i know the people in these movies not mm-hmm. some of them i've met some of them i just have read about i didn't know a single person in this movie i was like who is that guy back there <laughs> who's this guy supposed to be i was very confused i'm like yeah. you built like, up neil to the point of excluding almost everyone else Right. Besides the astronauts, like. But even some of the astronauts, I was like, I remember there was a big deal about Ed White because they had to make the Apollo One fire a big tragedy. Right. Right. Um, but. I've kind of just had this feeling of like you're just putting a bunch of people in there with name tags on and I'm like none of these people have per- defined personalities so I don't really know where he sits in the scheme of things versus mm. it's the Neil movie and this is placeholder people yes I don't that's know. super interesting I don't know did you did you Mark find uh, Neil to be a little replicant-esque that's the Gosling effect man <laughs> <laughs> I mean okay that's, that's fair that's a good call yeah I mean I love the Goss I'm going to be honest with both of you. Same. I will pretty much go see anything because he's in it. I'm just a Ryan Gosling fan. I can't help it. I can't even really describe what it is about him. 
but I want to see him in action. And I did think, uh, I don't know, I just wanted more of a range from Goss in this movie. And it's probably not his fault, obviously. I'm sure it was like how it was written and they wanted to like show a certain uh, characteristic traits of Neil. But I don't know. I just wanted like him yelling more or him like being funnier or I don't know, just being more charismatic. Yeah, emoting more. My my favorite scene was where he was emoting in the backyard. And he's like, he's like, uh, do you think I'm standing out here because I want to talk oh, to anybody? Yes, or, yeah. yes, I love that. That's true. That was one of the best it's scenes. True. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a lot. Some scenes where like his his actually like coming into doing something was like ah, there's a personality that I can dig into here. Yeah, as opposed to Moody looks down hallways. Right. Although I will say it was shot beautifully, but I would oh, like to know so sure. nice if anybody if anybody has ever been, ever been to the Armstrong household and can verify that there was in fact more than one light bulb in that house. I read that is that, the, a, is that what? Just, did you know there were so many shots where it was like one light bulb illuminating the scene? It was dark. Yes. It was very dark. Yeah, I think that was. I mean, maybe for like just to show just, that it was yeah. like a bleak uh, behind the scenes of these astronauts. Like they have lives and they have families, and it's hard for them. I feel like that's what they were trying to show with all the house stuff. And I also read that they like built the house. They like got found the blueprints to his actual house and then built it on this like lot. Wow. So I thought that was kind of cool. That's awesome. Um, and then just to touch on more, I don't know, movie trivia about this. I I was really interested in the uh, the the effects, the, the special effects, which won an Academy Award for visual effects. We were talking about it, uh, Mark and I, a little bit before this. Uh, so. The director, Damien Chazelle, wanted to avoid using green screen stuff, and so they built this, like, massive, I think it was, uh, like, 37 feet or something tall, this, like, LED screen that would, like, curve around what they were shooting, and so everything that we're seeing, a lot of it wasn't CGI. It was, like, these shots, these, like, (laughs) huge HD shots that were playing in the background, and so when it's, like, reflected on their helmets and stuff, that is actually what's being played. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's a great YouTube, like, little three-part oh, cool. uh, documentary thing about nice. it. They're very short videos, but I thought it was so cool that and such cool. a badass move. Yeah, and nice. there's even some shots of that, which I want to ask you. I have so many questions to ask you, Amy. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but there was that scene where he's like testing the the lamb, I think, uh, oh, the, out in the desert or something. Yeah, the, the lunar. LRV. Yes. And that, yeah, exactly. That footage is crazy that you can see like photographs of it. And, and I watched that the footage making. was also featured in I Dream of Genie one episode. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where I first saw it, actually. Okay, um, yeah, watch that. Yeah, it was like a known thing. Yeah, Major Nelson, I think his name was, Genie's human was flying it. Whoa, yeah. okay, cool. So that, that crash has actually been like syndicated on television since that's 1967. Funny. Does Neil get paid? <laughs> Probably not. It's Probably government not. assets. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that makes sense. If I can use it in a YouTube video, then whoever made I Dream of Genie could probably, probably use, use it royalty-free yeah. as well. True. Tax dollars at work. Yeah. <laughs> Tax-free footage. <laughs> By the way, use it for your projects at home. Yeah. yeah. Um, just an awesome scene, awesome yeah. crash. That was an awesome scene. I read that if he had like ejected half a second later, that his parachute wouldn't have opened yeah. in time or something. Um, so I don't know. I loved that part of the movie yeah. in particular. Yeah. Um, Mark, did you enjoy the film? I loved the film. Okay. I loved it. I like that we have both sides nice. of the coin yeah. here. Um, I'm a big fan of the space program in America in general and especially in those early days so I love seeing the ways that they do justice to the history in certain ways and maybe not in other ways too um, but I thought it was just so intense like it really had me even re-watching it I was like feeling all the same anxieties of watching it the first time knowing what all knowing what's going to happen before you even watch the movie like yeah we know the ending and they still like that first scene when he starts bouncing off the atmosphere in the fighter 
airplane Oof. is like yeah very tense crazy. another one of my favorite parts of the movie i yeah. would say um and let's go right into a question about that mm-hmm. because i did not know exactly how that worked or what was happening he's in like a fighter jet it's the x-15 the x-15 yeah. it's which... a rocket powered plane it was it flew from i think the first test flight glide flights were 1958 stopped flying in i want to say 67 and um yeah it was the first it was actually one of the few planes and the only one in that era that pilots actually earned astronaut wings because they technically flew in space wow um and i I don't know. I know the. I think the altitude record on that plane was three hundred and eighty thousand feet. Neil did not get that high. He did not get a speed or altitude record. The top speed was Mach six point seven, mm. which is insane. <laughs> I talked to one of the X fifteen pilots who's still. There's only one still around, and I was like, because the whole thing was. Um, so you launch from underneath the wing of a B fifty two. So you're launched at altitude from under a bomber. What um, what altitude? Uh, well, I think it varied depending on the flight profile, but like I so, want to say it was about fifty thousand feet, if I'm remembering that right. Holy crap. It's all okay. in my first book if you're curious but um so then they'd fire the rocket engine to get this burst of speed so depending on what the flight profile was they'd either go up for an altitude flight or far for a a distance and, and a speed flight and um once they got to the top of that arc, you're you're in space, you're above appreciable atmosphere to where like your flight controls can't bite. So you have reaction jets, which is a very early use of reaction control jets that Neil Armstrong was one of the first pilots to ever train with and fly for when he was at Edwards wow. before joining NASA. Um, so you, you've got like the little side control stick to do that. And then as you go back to the atmosphere, you have your traditional flight controls take over. And then you land on the desert floor on skids at 220 miles per hour. <laughs> Oh my god! And I asked one of the guys once, I was at Joe Angle, and I was like, "Was it not terrifying to be like, hi, I can see space, and all I have is the skill in one hand to get myself down?" And he's like, "No, we were very well prepared." And then pauses and says, "It was a little scary." <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's like the typical test pilot. But yeah, that's that's what that plane was. It's like the most badass, and it was only fifty feet long. This tiny little plane had one pilot. It was basically a fuel Jeez. tank with a cockpit on it. It's in the Air and Space Museum in Washington. If you ever go, it's hanging. You're just like, oh, wow, <laughs> thing's tiny, and it just like went all the way. Yeah, and so it takes this, like, arc of just... I guess straight up. It looked like he was going almost straight up. There were, yeah, it's there were like again, like I said, different flight profiles. But yeah, you're going pretty straight up when you're going for an altitude flight, and you're yeah. because you're going so high. Yeah, you can. There, they would actually use the atmosphere to extend the flight. I mean, this is this was not a new idea. This is um, this is actually what the Nazis were planning to do to bomb America from Eastern European launch sites. It's well, I love all the, their ideas. So yeah, it all unfortunately so much comes back to Nazi science. Um, <laughs> But that that was the idea. Is you, it's it's a skip glide or a boost glide profile uh-huh. where you're just like like a stone on a compound. You're just kind of like skipping and skipping because you can travel a distance so without this, having to use energy. This whole bouncing off the atmosphere potential disaster, right? Yeah. It seemed like that could have been really bad. Was yeah. kind of protocol because you're saying uh, if you're bouncing. Yeah. I think, well, I, th- I can't remember exactly. I think that flight was in 1961. I don't remember exactly what flight that was. I haven't. Uh, I yeah, about 1961. I, I, don't, I don't know every X-15 flight profile because there was 199 of them. Well, then why the um, hell are we doing this, Amy? God damn it. Um, the crap. <laughs> so I don't know what that flight was supposed to be uh-huh. versus what the actual was, but there there was something of like, you're going that high, you're going to bounce. And if you're at the wrong angle at all, you do have that issue. And so the fear is that you bounce and can't get control back? And then you'd get control back because eventually you'd fall down, oh. ideally, unless you start spinning, in which case you won't be able to get yourself out of that spin or that dive. Okay. Um, but, you know, you the, the dry lake bed at Edwards is big, but if you, like, boost too far away and you can't turn around to land safely, like, the mm. whole point of a dry lake bed is it's big and ye- relatively yielding. Okay. 
if you miss it, you're you've just got desert and mountains. Like you don't have a good secondary landing site, so mm-hmm. you don't. Yeah, want you almost to hit a mountain. That. They showed he like had yeah. to pull up over a mountain, and then yeah. I, and I you thought, don't. And the thing is, the the important thing is here is I can words. Um, there's no fuel. There's no fuel. What do you mean? So once you you you're released from the B fifty two, you fire your engine, and then your fuel is gone. You're just gliding Whoa. on the way back. That's why it's such a big issue. So it's not oh like God. it's not like you're so you're missing and you're like, oh, we're doing it a go around. Sure. <laughs> you can't go. You can't do a go around. You're going down. You're going down. Wow. I mean, I assume they have like it. an eject parachute situation. Um, I don't. I actually. Oh, it's bad that I don't know this off the top of my head. Um, I don't know that they did. I think someone did once say that the safest place in an X-15 crash would probably just be the cockpit. Um, they did have some some ejection, I believe. But if you're okay. going, you know, Mach six, you don't eject because you will die. Right, right. So I don't. I don't rip your head off. <laughs> I'm I'm like spacing on this right now, which is really bad. That's okay. Recording. We'll come back to it. And by the way, we won't. But I thought <laughs> the fear was that you're gonna bounce off into space. It no, looked like that no. was what was happening up there. Am you, I wrong? No, I thought it was. It looked like that. Okay. They wouldn't have been high enough to go into orbit, or have had enough energy to orbit. Okay. So that was actually a plan in the in 1958. Was like we could just strap some extra things when everyone was like, "Let's go to space now, Sputnik." There yeah. was a plan for the X-15 to add fuel tanks and have it be a, a single orbit vehicle. It never went anywhere, but it was right. feasible theoretically. Um, so it wouldn't have had the altitude or energy to go into orbit, but. You know, hmm. It's that same thing as if you if you get too high and you you start bouncing, you okay. could theoretically way bypass your landing spot, and then right. you're coming down in L.A. You're coming down <laughs> in the Pacific, and yeah. you don't have fuel to just like let your engine and get back. Wow, so, absolutely like, a phenomenally ridiculous yeah. uh, mission. It seems to me this is why. Yeah, going to space is way safer than being a test pilot. <laughs> wow, also really weird. Yeah. and it seems like why? I mean. This is going to sound like such a stupid question, probably, but launching. Wait, wait, 10 seconds. It seems like getting into space would be easier or more logical as as a normal plane takes off. Right. You go really fast. You start going up in the air. You get into space. And yet when we launch rockets, they're just pointed directly up. And we have to have this like huge energy to blast them into space. So why is that? Because of the exa- the energy that it takes is exactly right. So it, it depends on the mass of what you're launching and how far you need it to go. Ah. So you can, la- and there are satellites that are launched from planes. Oh, okay. Um, there's a sort of a hybrid thing. There's, you know, raccoons are one where you can you raccoons? actually... Raccoons? Raccoons is a thing where you could actually... I don't know if they do this anymore. I know they did in the 50s. This is where my knowledge base stops. Sounds like, like a cool 50s band. But the raccoons. The raccoons. So um, cool. <laughs> they'd, they'd lift a small rocket with a weather balloon and then launch it oh, from wow. altitude so that the balloon is doing most... Because the, the thing is, you're going not only against gravity, but through the atmosphere. And that's a lot of drag, so you have to go against it. Mm. If you can just, like, slowly lift yourself up you can use less energy to go through less of the atmosphere and that's how they did early sounding rockets in the in the 50s um i forget what there is a plane that nasa has that can launch small things from it that just seems to make more (laughs) sense to me i don't know maybe but but if you're going if you're going to the moon your payload is going to be so heavy that you're not you're not putting that in the back of a plane. You're right. not even putting that in the mm-hmm. on the top of a, an A380. Like that mm-hmm. has to be something that ultimately your, your rockets are your way to go. You until we develop like fancy new propulsion for Earth, which is we're always going to need chemical rockets, according to what I understand about 
rockets. Okay. Wow. Not an Mark, do you have another way of getting up there? In space is different, there? but I have no there. space elevator. Or like space elevator. I'm just going to say, or space elevator. Space elevators. Okay. Before we go into my uh, 10,000 questions about all the things touched in uh, all these Apollo missions and Gemini missions, I, I have a small game for us to play. Will you, will you guys yes. agree to play a game? Yes. What would you say if we said no? I would skip the game. <laughs> I've been looking forward to the game portion. Wow. Right. I'm glad there is oh, one okay. today. Uh, sometimes I There's skip the game There's not one altogether. every time? Nope. Uh, so this game is called One Small Quiz for Amy and One Giant Test for Mark. It's one small quiz for Amy. One giant test for Mark. Uh, Sounds hard for me. It is going to be, I think. And that's why I want you to answer first. Excellent. No matter what the question is. And then I'm hoping okay. you'll know the correct answers. And yeah. it's all it's it's pretty much all about Neil Armstrong okay. as first man is slash was whatever. Um, okay. What is Neil's middle name? Lance. <laughs> I like that you just jumped in with it. That's great. Alden. Alden is correct. Okay. Neil Alden. Armstrong. What college did Neil Armstrong attend? Oh. Um, Duke. Okay. Uh, Purdue. Purdue. Wow, I should know that. My mom went to Purdue. Oh, nice. Wow. She listens to this. She's going to be like, you (laughs) stupid. You have to edit this out and put me in saying Purdue. (laughs) Okay, here we go. And we'll just do a take two. What college did Neil Armstrong attend? Oh, wow. Do you have family that went there? No. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) Um, Okay. Sure, Neil did a bunch of NASA stuff, but he was also a test pilot at NACA, N-A-C-A. What's that? Um, National Association of Climate Appropriations. <laughs> okay, you got one of the words right. I'm, I'm wondering what that organization does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is curious. <laughs> Good stuff, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's all um, for the people. It's the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics. That's correct. Wow. Yes, Amy's uh, doing very well. Um, nobody's surprised. Where was Neil born? Oh, um, I should know this one. People from there are just freaking out right now. Oh, I'm Yelling sure. it at Indiana. their cars. Ohio. Oh, Ohio is correct. You know the city? Wapakoneta. That's correct. Near Wapakoneta, which I didn't know was a city. No offense to those who live there, but now I love it. And it's probably my favorite city. Fun fact. The city, I think it was the city of Wapakoneta sent NASA Mission Control cheese on July 19th when Apollo 11 was going into lunar orbit. Wow. Yeah, at some point they called up and they're like, so Neil, uh, your hometown sent us some cheese. And he's like, I'll bet it's good. And it was. It was a very, very small exchange there, but yeah. Can we find out why that didn't make the movie? Yes, I'll I'll call uh, Damien immediately after this. Speed dial? Yeah, yeah. No, we're very close friends. That's why I made that La La Landing joke. (laughs) Um, Because I I went over it with him, and he's like, no, that is funny. Okay, well into his 70s, Neil Armstrong continued to do what? Fish. I love the I love these very it seems like very confident guesses. You know, it <laughs> Dude, seems I like, like it. oh what is oh yeah. Fish. <laughs> I'm gonna say fly, but also potentially teach. Uh I don't know if he taught or not, maybe you would know, but I I just read here he does he does uh flying engineless aircrafts. Engineless oh, aircraft. He likes gliders, gliders and, nice. and such. Which is so inspiring to me that he did that in his seventies because I am so afraid to do that. I would never 
attach myself to a glider and jump off a cliff. It seems. I would glide. No, you would glide? No, I'd like your glide. I don't think that's what it was. I think those, no? the pilot's aircraft are ones. I don't know how they get up. I have a friend of mine has a glider license, but like oh. they're they're air, they're like airplanes. You're like in a cockpit, so it's not like you're just open air. I think I would still be thing. scared if I if I, I could I not know. fly. I wouldn't. Wait, I don't. How do they? How do they? Um, I don't know. And oh, I honestly okay. don't know enough about it, which is why I feel like I should not have started this conversation. But no, no, a friend tell of mine just says because there's no engine, so it's just silent. That it's just beautiful. Okay. He and he loves it. So yeah. I feel like I don't the one know. time I did it, it would crash, and then everybody for the rest of time would be like, "What an idiot!" On the plus side, didn't even have an engine. Is that what you're afraid of? No, I don't care. As long as I have a good time gliding. There you go. I'll go down. Happy That's again. a t-shirt, man. As long as I have a good time gliding. <laughs> That's what they say at the place where they're like, "You might die, but as long as you have a good time gliding." <laughs> Great review. Okay, last one. <clears throat> I love this, by the way. I'm going to get this one right. Oh, dude, I think you're going to nail this. This one has options, by the way. So you have a good, you have like a 33% chance. uh, 0.33 repeating. In May 2005, sorry, in May 2005, Armstrong became involved in an odd legal dispute with Mark Sizemore. His what of 20 years? Dentist, barber, or babysitter? Hmm. I don't even know this one. I'm going to go what? with um, either dentist or barber, and I think I'm leaning uh, dentist. Okay. I, this is, I, what? Do you have the story? Because I, I know I want the story. The story. I want to say babysitter, because I wonder if the babysitter wouldn't have stolen memorabilia, like, memorabilia and tried to sell it. I or, put that in there as a red herring, Amy. Huh, it was his damn. barber. I thought that was great logic. Though. It was, it was great like, logic. It probably was the babysitter. What? But what? <laughs> also, didn't the babysitter always do it? Isn't that yes, like... Yes, <laughs> I think that is... Uh, you're right. So the red herring was good. Damn, you're right. Thank herring. you. Uh, so Mark Sizemore uh, <laughs> uh, took some of his hair and sold it to a collector for $3,000 without Armstrong's knowledge. Armstrong threatened legal action against Sizemore unless he returned the hair or donated the proceeds to a charity of Armstrong's choosing... Uh, the barber, Sizemore, was unable to retrieve the hair, and so he donated the proceeds to charity. Very interesting. So there That's it is. That's weird. Super weird. Super weird. Watch your barbers, guys. Watch, yeah. burn your hair. At least it went to charity. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah at least it kind of worked. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask, there was, there was a part in the movie they kind of, I don't want to say skipped over, it just seemed fast, where his friend, Elliot C., oh, who was man. the only other so civilian... Sad astronaut if i'm not mistaken at that time i think so yeah. uh died in a crash yeah. I, yeah. it seemed a, a t38 crash yeah can you tell me what happened there just because i don't know i'm trying to remember the who else i'm trying to remember which because there was there were four astronauts who died in t38 crashes oh. or t33 crashes so okay. they flew these jets between centers to keep up their flying proficiency so they could get flight pay because everyone's like oh being an astronaut you're a rock star it's a government job you don't make a lot of money right yeah um so ask you about they that. were flying themselves in these jets to maintain flight proficiency because they were all on loan with the military mm. most of them but they would get extra pay um i forget which one elliot c was and it was mm. Ted Freeman and maybe C.C. Williams were another one. I would have to, I would honestly have to look up exactly which one. I th- okay. think he was the one into the uh, McDonald plant in St. Louis, if I'm remembering that. Hmm. You've seen the movie more recently. Do they mention it? I can't remember. All I can tell you is that he's the guy that about, was in Almost Famous. We're talking about C.C. Williams? That, is, that played Elliot. Gonna, they don't really mention what happens, I don't think. I just watched it. Yeah. I think he's like told on the phone. Or he's like told something. on the phone. No, no, no. Ed White comes to his door when it's raining outside. Oh, he's like, right. it's Elliot. Oh. And it's not good. 
and then they just have that sort of stoic like you know fighter jet like hold it all in and like Mm -hmm. that like silhouette shot yeah exactly yeah that was sweet head tilt down for a minute Mm mm-hmm Yes, I was right. He crashed his Northrop T-38 into Lambert Field in St. Louis, Missouri. He was with Charlie Bassett, killing two. They were both there. Yeah, they were flying out to do something with the Gemini spacecraft before their flight. And I think it was low clouds tried to go around to come in for another landing, but crashed into the building. I think that's what happened. So, yeah, they and they were I think they were the prime crew. I think they might have been the prime crew for Gemini 8. Don't quote right. me on any of this. No, I, I think, think they were right. the prime crew, and Neil was on the backup crew, and then he became, with Dave Scott, the prime crew of Gemini mm-hmm. 8. I think that's how that happened. This It leads me to a bigger question, which they kind of touched on in the film, which is how did they keep firing these rockets up after all these deaths? It seemed like there was a bunch of people dying, and yet it was like, well, let's try it again. And everybody's like, yay. Um, the, I mean, part part of it is that no one was dying in the rockets. That was one thing. No one was dying in the rockets. Yeah. People were, I mean, people dying in a plane crash is pilot error or some uh, kind of fluke thing, right? Okay. I think there was some, there was another one of these T-38 or T-33 crashes where a bird hit the windshield. Like, you, you know, there's, there's, I, I think if I'm remembering that right, there's things that you can't control with a pilot flying, mm. but there was never a fatality on a rocket. So that's one thing. Okay. Um, we, we can't forget that it was part of the Cold War and everything was about beating the Russians. Therefore, we're doing this. Yeah. We're doing this full tilt. Let's not pretend it was anything other than Cold War. That seems so wild now in retrospect yes. as well. Like we have to beat them. So let's keep putting billions of dollars into launching rockets to the moon. Yeah. Also, you know, Kennedy died. And you can't right, let right. his vision die with him, so yeah. you have to see it through now. That I totally get, actually. Yeah. Kennedy ruled. Wow. <laughs> Context. Yeah. Which is crazy. Also, there's a part in the movie... Um, sorry, I feel like no. I watched this more recently. No, yeah, yeah, I like, tried, <laughs> so I'm glad you can bring it back to why we're supposed no, to No, they're be. like... Yeah. It's like, I think it's after uh, Neil's LEM crash. That's what it's called, right? It's the L, um, is LLRV or LLTV. I can't yeah. remember which one it was, but Lunar uh, Landing RV. Research Vehicle or Test Vehicle. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Or maybe it's at a different part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, they're like walking towards Neil and they're like, uh, you know, like, um, oh, at what cost are we going to keep the program going? And he turns around and he's like, isn't it a little late for that question? Yes. So, and I think that might have been after the Apollo 1 fire, which was... Right, right, right. Oh my God, as yeah. soon as that title came up on the movie, like uh, January, whatever, 1967, Apollo 1 plugs out Tesla. It's like, this is going to be so sad. Yeah. And yet they somehow managed to sterilize it. Sterilize? What do you mean? That the the Apollo One fire. Uh-huh. When you, there's like you you see it happening and then it goes to the shot of the outside of the capsule and yeah. it's just like a right. like yeah. a little a little thing and then Neil's crying at the White House. I'm like, well, that's jarring. And I know that they're trying to make it all about Neil and not about the death of these astronauts. That mm. thing exploded and like burned up the White Room and people Whoa. on the launch pad were trying to get them out and they all got burned. Whoa. They were treated for the, this was this was not like a little contained fire. This was an inferno and an explosion that ruptured the hull of the spacecraft. And I again, like Damn. I know why they they didn't go into that, but like it was way worse than that, and it felt weird to show it in a way that was not the true, like, 
like horrifying event that it was. Yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. I had no idea. Why do you think? So why didn't they do show it? I think, and I had a, a friend mention to me that it's it was because they're trying to really focus it on Neil and didn't want to make it about everyone else who was there. They really just tried to boil it down to it's not about the fire or the accident. It's about Neil's reaction to it. Mm-hmm. So let's just tell you what happened without really showing it, but let him tell you how much that means. I just, I felt to me, just because I, I know it, um, I would recommend uh, the HBO series from the Earth to the Moon. Just so oh, good yeah. if you Ooh, haven't cool. seen it. You yes. should, you love space. You're, I feel like we should mention you're in a NASA shirt. I had yeah. to wear it. A cool <laughs> NASA shirt, too. And is that a planet tattoo, too? That's true. Yeah, I got that so. just for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just That's got it. Dedication right there. Fresh air. Um, it's so good. And there's an episode about Apollo 1, and they show it, and it's pretty like true. T- like timing wise too that all happened in 14 seconds or something wow like spark there's a fire we're burning and then explode and wasn't that in a rocket or in a spacecraft that was in a spacecraft on the launch pad but it wasn't a problem with the rocket what was it a problem so a bird no thankfully a bird did not smash into the hull (laughs) (laughs) i didn't Um, seem like it no that was a so the plugs out test is a test of the spacecraft and the rocket running on its own internal power before launch because up until launch they're plugged into the ground so plugs out um but because the spacecraft is designed to operate in space where the pressure pressure differential against a near vacuum or a vacuum is five psi you have to mimic that at sea level so the in equivalent internal pressure in the spacecraft is about 16.7 psi and at the time it was pure oxygen so a tiny spark and the amount of flammable materials in there that had been soaked in oxygen for hours at that point wasn't just a fire that you could like open the door quickly it just exploded and the hatch was a tripartite design that couldn't be opened it was 90 seconds to open it they had 12 seconds before everything turned into hell and yeah it, it, it actually caused like a significant redesign in the spacecraft. There's, yeah, it's it's a that, that's, a, that's a big rant. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's not a rant at all. Stuff. Yeah, yeah it's it, there were actually two two versions of the spacecraft developing simultaneously because of insane scheduling issues and last minute decisions. I mean, talk about Apollo being a bit of a hot mess. Yeah. Exhibit A of hot mess. There's two versions of your spacecraft being developed simultaneously, only one of which can support the lunar mission. Apollo 1 was not that version. It was an earlier version. So it didn't even have... So Wild. NASA was like, well, we're never flying... the. It's called the Block 1. We're just going to fly the Block 2 and bring all the changes into it. A Block 1 flew with modifications on unmanned flights just for tests of the rocket. Wow. So, yeah, it was the, the like... It underscored as many technical issues as, like, management issues at NASA. And this is all for Apollo 1, right? Yeah. I mean, so, again, I just that question burns in my head of, like, you're just starting this new mission, this new, and and you have a huge disaster. Yeah. And you're saying people got hurt that it weren't even the astronauts yeah. that were trying to help out. Yeah. Like, tried to open the hatch from the outside, but it was so hot it burned them. There was smoke everywhere. They were, like, oh fighting against the dense smokes trying to get at them and <laughs> couldn't. Yeah. In the film, they mentioned that um, they left the astronauts in for four hours to to like pr- see what happened is there any truth to that what do, you, do you know i in, i, I aft, after the fire I, yeah i interpreted it as like even after they opened the hatch after the fire died i, I, I mean i don't know it was just a line in the movie oh. and i was like wow, i know that. they left them in place because they had to see what had happened so yeah, like they that, were trying to see because i think protocol was i forget 
exactly how it works, but one of them would try start opening the hatch. I think the commander was or the whoever's in the middle seat, command module pilot would start opening the hatch. The lunar module pilot would just wait his turn to leave, and the commander would be in comms. So they're trying to see like who was positioned, how to understand how far they'd gotten through the procedure. Mm-hmm. But they also they also yeah. couldn't disturb anything. I mean, they they took that spacecraft apart piece by piece right. and said like this required four pounds of force to remove this bolt versus a factory model that had was unflown and tested and said yes four pounds is right or it should be five pounds that was not tight enough and mm. that they they meticulously piece by piece took it apart with another one to see exactly what happened wow fascinating um okay i wanted to talk about the the gemini 8 or yes. gemini 8 um where they can we talk about that for a sec gemini versus gemini yeah <laughs> sure go ahead <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's i actually thought. have a video about the pronunciation because oh. people are always like stop saying gemini it's gemini i'm like so i did a super cut of like all of the nasa public affairs <laughs> videos being like and the pilots of gemini 10 and you just hear them going gemini 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 <laughs> that's great is it know? bigger than nasa or is it literally no NASA? it's, it's so a just, nasa thing it's, it's just okay cool I, as far as i know it's it's a NASA thing. It's like mm. it's the twins. It's the two man. They but they want it to be separate from the astrological okay, thing. Right. So okay. for whatever reason, go. they pronounced it Gemini, like Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, I That's like it. Yeah. Such good trivia. It's such a weird little thing, but I Gemini. got so annoyed with the Gemini. internet being like, "You don't even know how to pronounce the words right." Expletive, yeah. and I was like, "Here's a supercut of all of the times NASA calls it Gemini." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's a good way to fire internet. back. <laughs> take that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Ethan. No, no, please interrupt me anytime, Mark. I love it. Speaking of interruptions, let's take a short break, and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go back to the show about science. So they, ro- they there's this like violent roll that yeah. happens on the. Gemini 8 <laughs> and like his co-pilot it's probably the wrong word like passes out and he's like about to pass out yeah. and then like before he does he kind of saves the day by I don't know what activating a thruster or yeah. something like that Yeah. so what was going on there that would cause this ridiculous like it reminded me of uh, when I was little getting into where you're at the beach and you get like sucked into a wave and Ooh. you just kind of like super spin you know what I mean uh, so it was I don't know I was very stressed out watching this right. Right. scene. Have you ever been on the like the rides? It's usually called like the Gravitron yeah, or something at absolutely. fairs. It's like that, but smaller and in space. Oh, <laughs> cool. Sign me up. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> so Gemini 8 was, its mission was to dock with the Agena. It was one of its main um, objectives. So the Agena was just a target vehicle, literally to practice finding and connecting with something in space and then like do it again because that's what they had to do in Apollo. So they docked at the Agena and started this roll and they thought it was something wrong with the Agena so separated from it and then it got worse. Turns out there was a thruster that was stuck open on the Gemini spacecraft oh. and they didn't know it and by the, I think they were the revolution was something insane like like three times a second or something. It just got to the point where like like the gravitron, you're like pushed back from your seat. You're you're starting to black out. The your blood is all like draining from your head and stuff. Right. So they did get. It was him and Dave Scott. They did get quite close to passing out because of just like that loss of blood. Yeah. Um. And the only thing they could do was use their reentry fuel to use those thrusters t- to stabilize their movement, which would effectively end the mission as per protocol. So right. they would have to come home. But Neil Armstrong did know that cockpit so well that he was able to find the switches even though he his vision was starting to blur like they were both could barely see or feel anything and like you've been on those rides you try to lift your hand up and you're like it was just that like trying to do that and then 
activating that system to stabilize you and then canceled out the role and then they had to make an emergency landing in this I think they were in the South China Sea wow um, it was just like wherever you can get down you got to get down now because you do not have consumables to stay up there anymore so right. it was bad it was like that was probably one of the flights that was like oh, okay well you're you've just proved your medal as a pilot so we yeah. can put you in rotation in what will potentially be one of the first moon landings maybe even the first yeah and and so it's totally plausible that he made that role happen on purpose so that he could prove like <laughs> I can handle anything. How dare you besmirch the noble name of Armstrong? <laughs> I'm just saying that's smart. That's like a cool way to get to the top of the list as a fair. I mean, and and it you know if that's the case, he took that secret right to the grave with him. So. Oh yeah, he did. <laughs> well, he was a very you know humble, very dude. very and very quiet, guarded. Guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably wouldn't admit yeah. that. Um, no, that and, definitely did not happen. I feel like I should say that as <laughs> as as the historian, I yeah, should yeah. state that that did not happen. Stop taking me seriously, everyone <laughs> at home. Please. Theory starts here. <laughs> um, I did want to talk about conspiracy theories, and we'll get there in a second because I do find them really really funny. Yeah. Um, but I just want to for a second here try to get my head around this role. So you're in space where. When you have like momentum, you don't stop, right? Yeah. So you, you, they're they're spinning a little bit, just kind of naturally, right? And you're saying a thruster it was going off, and they didn't know about it, and so it like exponentially it, it sped just them starts. Up. So it's like if once it's like okay, if you start rolling and it keeps going, you don't have any. You're not pushing against any air particles that'll stop the roll. So if you cut that thruster, mm -hmm. it's not like you're eventually. It's very similar. Speaking of conspiracies, to the flag waving thing. It's not like you know when a flag starts waving and outside if there's no breeze it stops because there's air particles stopping it same thing with uh, something spinning eventually those air particles should stop it i believe i'm not a physicist i yeah. should make that very well, clear that sounds but about right you have you have nothing stopping you so you just have this like perpetual roll and mm -hmm. it's still firing eventually that motion will dissipate i don't know where it would go though uh -huh. so i believe in space once you just start spinning if you if you start something spinning and nothing ever stops it mm -hmm. that's one of newton's laws a body in motion will not stop unless something i can't right. recite it but um you know unless sure. something messes with it to change it so i think once you start going you're kind of stuck going yeah so you yeah. have to like fire I, against that that role that yeah that i was just fascinated by how fast it got because it, it like bad. it made sense to me that when you roll you're going to keep rolling in space yeah. but the fact that it got so fast i just thought how can they not how, how did this happen why is there not some sort of automatic like oh we're rolling really fast fire this you know yeah computer things I don't know. are weird in space. But the <laughs> other <true>. thing, <laughs> sorry, do you, I, you look like you're going to no, add uh, something. <laughs> leaving, it, leaving it at that is a funny way to contribute. But, uh, <laughs> no, I just mean like I've, videos of people on the ISS when they like spin something, it'll like spin on an axis for a second and then it will just randomly like flip to a different yeah. axis or something. So I don't Whoa. know. I've always, I've just always thought that like oh stuff spins weird in space. Yeah, yeah. I've seen the ones where they're like undoing a handle and it spins, and as soon as it like separates from the wall, it like flips to a different orientation because that's how the the movement dissipates. Right, and I don't get that example, but I've seen those and they're super <laughs> okay. weird. Yeah. Um, but to your point of like yeah. why wasn't there a program to stop it? So. We need to remember that this is 1966, right. and technology was not quite like an auto-stop roll program. Mm -hmm. When they had to come down early, they were reading up the new computer commands line by line, and Dave Scott was manually inputting it into the computer, erasing one line and wow. putting in a new line. Jeez. I forget. I don't. I don't know enough about how computers work to be like it was this many words, mm -hmm. but it was a very small amount of words. Um, 
I can't computer history enough. I've tried, and it's just yeah. it's so far like beyond <laughs> my ability to even understand like how computers work. I appreciate your attempt. They're magic boxes, but there was something. There was <laughs> something boxes. about like it had very little data storage. Uh-huh. To the point where if you have to change your flight plan, you're removing it line by line and adding it in manually. You can't upload a new... It's not like a rover. You can upload code. Yeah. You can't just upload a new command. You have to manually put it in. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought there was a great line from... Uh Claire Foy's character, who was she, she was, was so good, good. unbelievable. So good. Oh my god, she was uh, she was like the best for me. She's the best part of that movie. I agree, I agree. She she honestly should have been called she, first woman. Let's all agree on that. She she killed it. Uh, it. It's a great film, but yes, her performance was was truly phenomenal. And she has a great line where she, they turned off her box squawk box. Is that yeah. the correct term? Yeah. Um, and she comes in and she says, she, he says like we have everything under control. She says you have you don't have anything under control. You're just like boy playing with f- toys or some crap like yeah. tools um, and that's really what was going on I mean like they're professionals obviously they're very smart but it's, it's the 60s you know it's like you said they don't they didn't have like these huge complicated yeah. computers very basic stuff they were dealing and with and like aerospace engineering wasn't something you could decide you wanted to be when you were a kid that was something like someone picks you out of a college and says you have an aptitude for math you should come to NASA and invent computer engineering for aerospace <laughs> wow like so- the I think the average age in mission control when Apollo 11 landed on the moon was 26. Wow. That's like, so cool. I feel so old right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's amazing. And like these these guys are in their mid-20s yeah. figuring out how to go to the moon, programming the computers. The, the astronauts are in their mid-30s. It's wild. And they're already doing this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, I've achieved nothing. Like yeah. it's it's nuts. They're, it, like it's wild how much these guys did and how young they were because they were they were the ones that invented it all. They yeah. didn't it's have wild. Instagram. It's fine. <laughs> no, yeah, they did Yeah, not. it's because they weren't sitting there trying to take the right angles selfies on the beach. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, okay, I want to talk about the actual landing on the moon, which I, I don't want to be a downer over here, but I did feel like they spent a lot of time on this landing on the moon. Dude, that scene was so long. Too long? Way too long. Okay. I don't want to crap that on the was film. One of my I hate crapping on complaints. films. Yeah, I love the movie, but I did feel like <laughs> yeah. I, I was more invested in him as a person and his family life and his relationship with astronauts and stuff, and then we were just like landing on the moon for a half hour it was kind of intensive i mean it was the culmination of everything he's worked towards sure and you could like it was the first i mean talk about him emoting like he emoted in that those scenes with his intensity in the manning this the um the craft mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um it's true so i just wanted to know if there were because i read that there was like some sort of complication that like buzz kind of saved the day but we didn't get to see it do you know what i'm talking uh, about with the 1201 1202 program alarms and buzz figured out what was triggering it that sounds about right <laughs> i don't have the exact stuff here i just i just th- that it was like cut that they they filmed the scene that, and it was cut and the scene was that like as they were during landing the on landing the moon, yes okay okay because there was another one i think during when they were taking off that he i think buzz knocked a switch off oh okay like not in the opposition like like broke it with his backpack because those things were tiny and had to use like a pen lid to jimmy it to work wow um but yeah so i can't i can't remember i have also seen the apollo 11 documentary which have you guys seen it no which one is it what is that it's the cn i think it was a cnn one but it's just called apollo 11 okay cool. you need to watch it great it's just archive footage matched with audio there's no narrative no interviews it's an hour and a half long i saw an imax and it was like the most amazing thing i've ever seen sweet like i love it it's apparently i've heard that there's a an extended edition coming out in the fall so like maybe wait to buy it but like oh my god it's so good so good um and matt did a brilliant job of the land 
landing with like all the program alarms flashing at the time and like fuel amount and stuff. So I'm, I'm in my mind, I've got that because it was just like so minimalist and so powerful. So what happened? As they're landing on the moon, uh, this gets back into me not knowing how computers work enough. But <laughs> great. <laughs> so the Apollo computer had um, had all all of its programs were were programs that had names like P thirty eight or whatever it was, and it had a noun and a verb. So it's like here's the action, here's what it is, and it could run. It had six slots in its memory bank to run six programs simultaneously. Okay. It wasn't actually simultaneous. It was like switching every millisecond or so to do it. So it looked simultaneous to the operator, but mm. they did not have the ability to run simultaneously. And the guy who helped, one of the guys who helped program it, I have a video on him on my YouTube channel, which I suggest you watch because that's a better explanation than I'm doing right now. <laughs> um, his name was Hal Lanning. Um, he he was one of the guys that was like, you, you have to allow these things to kind of be more fluid instead of being like this program, then this program, then this program. So as they're landing, um, he knew that there was a potential for a program to get like stuck in a loop and gum up one of these spots. So... They're landing, they're running all these programs, and there's this spurious signal of like range, I think it was range data, so distance to the surface, hmm. that every time Buzz called that data up from the computer, something was was on a cycle, so that overloaded the computer's memory bank, and it rebooted. Whoa. And that was the failsafe that this guy at MIT at Landing had put in, where it could reboot without losing priority of all the other jobs. If it lost priority, then you lose everything, and you're like, and abort. Wow. So, so that's what happened. They got four twelve. I think it was four twelve oh two and one twelve oh one alarm, um, and these were all this could the computer rebooting and the computer overload, no core sets. Um, and NASA was like, "We're go on that alarm." And Buzz figured out that it was every time he was trying to call up like verb sixty eight or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. This this range data, and he just said, "All right, Houston, you're calling up the data for us because we can't enter this into the, into the computer without getting this alarm." Okay. So luckily, they were spread out enough. They're pretty tightly together, but they were spread out enough that the computer was able to reset and continue. If they'd been really close together, it might have actually mm. lost some data in the process. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was a, it was. It sounds like, oh, you're fine. It rebooted because we. How often do we reboot computers? Mm-hmm. I rebooted my laptop like seven times yesterday. Right. Um, we were. I was having some issues. But you also uh, weren't landing on. The but moon I also wasn't landing on time. the moon with it. Yeah. And it's also like a regular thing you do. Like there's updates, right. reboot, and you'll be fine. Yeah. Not like okay, this is not a computer that's supposed to be shut off ever. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. And since we're talking about American hero Buzz Aldrin. Uh, a nicer dude than portrayed in the movie. We we touched on it early, but I've met Buzz once. Okay, um, I've been at a few events with him. Um, my experience with him was pretty minimal. A friend introduced me. He's mm-hmm. like a personal friend of his, and he he seemed more interested in the people who were buying his autograph than the people who weren't. Ah, so the film is accurate. And Buzz I don't know. Maybe, is rude. I might have caught him on a bad day. I mean, I sure. always like these signing events when it's just a million. So yeah, these yeah. Si- astronaut signing events are like Comic Con oh for fifty-year-olds. Okay, um, or sixty-year-olds. Awesome, it's like it's men who are boys watching the moon landing, going up to these astronauts with their flight like replica flight jackets with all the patches, being like, "On EVA three, where did you put the lens cap on the camera?" I'm just, and you can see these guys being like, "Oh, I don't know that I want to discuss this with someone who's like has yeah. read the mission." report more intimately than I who wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's possible to catch these guys on a bed, which is why I always open with a joke when I meet them. So it's possible he was having a really bad day. A different sure. joke each time? Yeah, well, I, or I, my favorite was when I, I got a Dave Scott, who, speaking of Gemini 8, was on Gemini 8. He mm. was 
totally gorgeous in the 60s. Still very, you know, very handsome man sure. in his 80s now. Yeah. But I got him to sign a Gemini 8 picture for me and I put it down on his table. I'm just like, did you know that you are a total heartthrob? And he's like, I'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he told me about, he said, we talked about different planes he'd flown and he told me that the lunar module on fumes was the best thing ever to fly because it was the most responsive thing. Oh, that, like a tiny flick of your wrist and you're just totally pitched over. He's like, I've never had more fun flying anything in my life than the lunar module empty. Cool. Like, that's a cool little tidbit that I've yeah. never heard. Yeah. That sounds fun. Wow. Flattery um, will get you everywhere, folks. I, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Mark. I uh, had a I had a bunch of other questions. We're, we're running out of time, unfortunately. But uh, no, no, you. that's exactly what a I... a very interesting conversation, I have to say. I'm yeah, I mean, that's the ideal thing here, Amy, is I want you to, to tell us all about this. Um, okay, this is a dumb one, but I had to know, what are their diets? What are they eating while training and what are they eating in the spacecraft? Training, I don't think there was too much of a diet, maybe oh. leading up to the mission. Because on the mission, you have what is called a low residue diet low to residue. minimize mm. the amount of pooing on the moon. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because you know what you don't have? water that like runs to clean yourself and toilets that flush. Mm -hmm. You don't really want to poo in a diaper on the moon, nor do you really want to poo in space as much as you can. You can't stop bowel movements, sure. but you can minimize them with super high protein foods. So their, their meals were... Um, basically cyclical it was all planned out so like day one meal a day two meal a b c d or whatever and they had some snacks uh -huh. so it was like like fruit cups oh, and nice canned tuna and a lot of bacon cubes they loved bacon cubes well who doesn't love a good bacon cube? right probably also the saltiness would actually taste like something as opposed to right. the pasta that might not but yeah it was the reading of tuna it sounds terrible yeah, that, was, like, that oh. became an issue on Apollo 12. <laughs> uh, they, what? They had, a can <laughs> of, they had a can of tuna open, and Dick Gordon, the command module pilot, didn't finish it, and he wanted to eat it eight hours later. But Albine, that, that face exactly, Marcus made a... <laughs> um, Albine called in and was like, hey, Houston, Dick's got this tuna in his hand, and he wants to eat it, it's, but it's been exposed to pure oxygen for eight hours. Is it safe? Uh -huh. This became an hour-long discussion, and <laughs> this became so an hour, an hour of conversation. And even like Dick Gordon's then wife came into Mission Control and was like, uh, "Miss Gordon says don't eat the tuna." Wow, and, interesting. Uh, it was not resolved in on the mission, and I I told him he didn't remember this. I told him the story like three or four years ago, uh -huh. um, and I pulled up the transcript and he I was felt very good as he laughed so hard he cried and I was oh, like oh. wow. um and I was like do you remember so I was like I have no memory of this I probably just ate the damn thing oh my god <laughs> so how did you yeah. find out about it it's in the transcript ah. so you just read I the transcript I just I happened so I do this nerdy thing where I retweet missions on their 45th anniversary I'm doing Apollo 11 starting I just started starting tomorrow morning but oh, great. Um, I'm not doing every one of them because it's way too much work but I, when I did Apollo 12 I go through and I, per, I dig up like the little human moments like there is a point oh, it's like 153 nice. hours in Apollo into Apollo 11 there's just Neil Armstrong just says hey Mike are you ready for your underwear are you ready for your underwear hey Mike are you ready for your underwear and I was like what the hell is this about so I asked Mike Collins about it a couple of years ago and I got, think I got my answer but um, oh well wait so, yeah, what was the answer knew. so he, needed thinks, underwear? he thinks that he was teasing him because the astronaut who did not walk on the moon did not need the liquid cooled undergarment <laughs> because he wasn't going on the moon he could just wear regular you know, sl yeah. shirt sleeves under his suit. Um, so that's what he thinks it was about. Okay. But it was such a weird thing where, like, you read these transcripts. They're public. You just search, like, <sighs> Apollo 12 transcript, NASA, and you'll find it. And if you have no life like me... <laughs> 
you find things like the tuna issue right, and right. Mike Collins' underwear. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Um, so they didn't touch on this in the movie at all, but what was the, the vibe like on the way back from the moon? Oh, yeah. According um, to the transcript. I haven't looked at that. I'm In preparing my tweet, my live tweet, I just got them. They're on the moon right now and, and where I am living. So I mm. haven't gone through that half yet, but there's. it was pretty chill. It was really like, you're still doing, going to the moon is really boring. Like, mm-hmm. the landing part is cool, but going there, you're just, like, doing systems checks. Right, so there's right. a lot of, like, housekeeping, maintenance, checking your trajectory, doing all that stuff, like, hanging out. There's a really sweet moment. I think it's when they're on the far side of the moon before they left for Earth, where Buzz and Neil are, like, showing Mike the rocks they got. Like, hey, look Aww. at this one. And you That's can, cool. like, you can kind of feel they're a little bit, like, little boys just having fun. Like, look at these cool toys I found yeah. on the moon. Um, <laughs> on the moon. There's a lot of, like like mission control reading up news sports oh. scores they were very interested in sports scores because nice. they're guys yeah. so there's a lot there's a, a lot of banter a lot of downtime yeah yeah a I lot of imagine. just like we're gonna cycle this we're gonna and we're gonna tv transmissions these things took hours yeah you know they to, probably to smell like garbage right yeah i mean you can't shower or like no. what are you gonna do no i mean you're pooping in a bag it's not like you have a little, you know, latrine area that contains that smell. You're, right, you're, right. That's, they know. didn't show that in the movie much either. No, they did not. There's just a I'm, bunch I'm of looking around this room. Smell. How it, long were they on the moon exactly? They Apollo 11 was on the moon, I think, in total 15 or 20 hours. They were on okay. the surface. That's for a long time. Super so they, long. No, they did they have were, to use the restroom they on were, the moon. Yeah, then. but they were on, they were, their spacewalk was two and a half hours. Oh, so, then they were on the... So the, but they were on, launch. like, when they landed, it was still it was seven hours from landing to opening the door. Holy crap. To, to get everything. Hours. It took seven hours. Everyone's what? like, you just oh go, yeah. God. No the one hell are you doing about, up there right? for seven this is, hours? This is why I started doing this live tweet to show you how actually long and boring it really is. So long. You're, you're checking that all your systems are okay for you to stay. You, so you do the go, oh. no go for landing. You do the stay, no stay to stay on the moon. But then wow. you have to get your suit on for the EVA. You have to put the backpacks on. And you're in a space barely, like two people can't lie down side by side in that thing. It's so small. Jesus. So you have to get Sounds this ready. Awful. You have to depressurize the cabin. You have to <laughs> set everything up this. to be exposed. You have to open it. It's, it takes ages to do anything. I mean, Neil was Oof. on the surface for like half an hour before Buzz could even get outside. Oh my god! Why? Because of just logistics just, of Buzz I mean, getting outside. Just the fact that it's like he had to go do his thing, make sure it was okay, and then oh, Buzz okay. had to gotcha. like clamber down the ladder himself without somebody guiding him through the hole. You got to be it's, good with boredom. You got to be good with yourself. If you're an astronaut, and that's—I mean—that's why when, we, like, when we talk about l- deep space missions and long-term missions, it's like, what kind of person do you send to the moon? In Apollo, it frankly made a lot of sense to send military test pilots who were okay just taking orders and being yeah. quiet. Yeah. There's a reason they all have this very like even temperament. Right. You don't want somebody that's the life of the party going to the moon. You want no. the person who's got a good sense mind. of humor, but ultimately you're okay to just be quiet with people. You might say they need the right stuff. They, yes. They need the right stuff to be, that's what NASA calls but, um, it. Um, okay, the last thing was, there was there was a controversy to whether or not he did take the bracelet or leave the bracelet. Right. So I wanted what you guys thought, because the, the I have a quote from his wife, uh, Janet, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, that's her name, right? Uh, or maybe I don't have a quote. But basically she said uh, that he probably did not take it and he probably didn't even take anything on board for their two sons um yeah i I, my gut feeling is that there was no bracelet on the moon no bracelet on the moon mark hadley (laughs) (laughs) um 
I think it's unlikely. Unlikely. Uh, yeah, I did actually. That was one of the first things I looked up in First Man the book, and mm. it's speculative of he he may have taken a personal effect. Right. May not have. Because we don't know, right? There's we no public knowledge of no, what's in there. There's no record of it. Um, I mean, and I trust That's Jim. Cool. Jim Hansen wrote the book. I, I trust him. Yeah. He was friends with the Armstrong clan, and you mm. know, is still friends with with the the family. And I, if he says that there's no firm record of it, I, I believe it. Astronauts yeah. did bring personal things. I, I think. think was uh, was open about it though. He like said what he brought. He yeah. brought like some wine and some like. I think he did communion. Right, on the exactly. Moon. He did a communion. Um, on the moon. But they brought. They also brought like. <laughs> Not I think, what I'd do on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but I think they brought. He had seven hours. He had, he had a lot of time to kill. Um, I think they they left the Apollo one astronaut like the crew's astronaut pins on the moon so that they oh. got there. Um, they they That's brought nice. stuff from from the Soviet Union for Yuri Gagarin who had also died by that point. Mm. Um, you know That's Charlie. Pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty Little. They did. They cool. they were pretty good at, at like realizing that they had to be bigger than the Cold War in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Charlie Duke left a picture of his family on the moon. So there are personal effects wow. up there. It's just we don't know what Neil. We did. don't know specifically. He might have done it. It's a very private ceremony. Mm-hmm. I. What yeah. if it just turned out it was like Cheetos and he just wanted a good snack while he was up there? He's like, I'll you'd just have poop. to like, you have to like tape them in the helmet in a way where you could like <laughs> maneuver them off the inside of your helmet with your face. I mean, he's a smart dude. Yeah, I mean, he is he a really NASA. good engineer. Yeah, yeah, he had the right <laughs> stuff. We all agree. Well, let's uh, let's uh, do some plugs here, Mark. As I said, people need to listen to more giraffes, and I don't mean they need to listen to more of the animal giraffes. I'm they talking can do about that if they want to as well. I'm sure they make great noises, but your band, More Giraffes, is fantastic. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, I'm in a band called More Giraffes, and we have some new music coming out this summer. Actually, mm-hmm. we have a song coming out um, on Wednesday, so today's Monday. Probably Don't know it. when you guys will be hearing this, but it, it's, it's already out at it's this. It's already point. out, and everyone loves it. Yeah. By the way, every it's been People getting are freaking out about that <laughs> great reception. Yeah. Tag, tag them on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> tag us on Instagram. That's right. And I also make music, as Ethan said, as Hark Madly, and I'm uh, just finishing my album for that project right now. So yes, be on the lookout for that. Keep the lookout. Which, by the way, is like the best pen name ever. It's so Thank good. You. It's. Yeah, Hark nice, madly. nicely done. It's fun to say. It wow. sounds cool. It means a lot because I feel clowny when I say it. What? It's, <laughs> it's awesome. Just, it's, 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 it's really funny. It's so good. And, madly. you know, if you're just posting space stuff, still tag more giraffes, right? Yeah. Because yeah. why not? Yeah. Content. Love it. <laughs> Perfect. Like, comment, subscribe. Yes. Uh, Amy, you're f- tweeting out the yeah. Apollo 11. Yeah. When When is this going to be? When are I don't the know, people a week or so? Okay. Well, if it's before July 24th when you're listening to this, I am currently live tweeting Apollo 11 as it happened to the minute with a 50-year time delay. Um, you can follow cool. me on Twitter, Amy Shira Title. Um, you can also follow me on YouTube, Vintage Space. I have un- irregular content right now because I'm also finishing up a book project, um, which I can't say anything more about here yet. Um, but there will be Apollo 11 content and plenty more stuff going up there very soon. Okay, but tell us about your secret book. Secret book is secret. Secret book project. Mwahaha. <laughs> I mean, give us a tease. Is it about space? It's uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's about space. Okay, then I'm gonna love it. Yeah. <laughs> Heard it here first. Uh, well, thank you guys for joining me. I had thank a great you, time. Ethan. Thank you so much. Learned a lot, and I'll see you next time. Bad science. <laughs> 
This is what Mark. This is the first thing Mark does to me whenever we see each other at a bar nice. or a concert at a bar. Nice. He just starts singing my theme song. <laughs> it's so good. I love it. It's awesome. I, I wish I had a theme song that people could sing at me. That's that's I wicked. Mean, you this can is the do best. That. I was gonna say we can we can toss something together. <laughs> you gotta go to Success Express for that magic. We, that's right. We'll make a, a Actually, vintage. Yeah. Success other pod, uh, podcast. Oh, it's so okay. funny. It's very silly, yeah. Nice. There's no real information on it, though. Sweet. So you might not learn. Mm, those are sometimes the best podcasts. Um, and so now let's have Mark just do uh, vocal samples of Bad Science that we can make a remix. Bad Science. Did the movie get it right? Bad Science. Or will we have to fight? Bad, 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 bad science. Great. I think I was in the right key. Also. <laughs> Something like that. You can uh, melodyne it. Bad Science is hosted and produced by me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our engineer and editor is Lucas Bollinger. And the executive Alden producer is Brett Kushner. Follow us on Instagram because looking at pictures is fun at Bad Science Show. That's at Bad Science Show. You can send us an email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. Let us know what movies you'd like to hear about next and any other thoughts you have on the show. And of course, rate and review us on iTunes. That lets other people hear about the show, which we really appreciate. So I thank you for listening and I will see you next week. Bye.